0: If it's 100% the right decision to take a guy from a bad kinematic sequence to a good kinematic sequence, you're going to be placing stress on those joints, on those tissues, in a new way that they're not used to. Even if it's lessened. you know, Even if you're lessening force on, those, on the tissues, it's new. So now all of a sudden if that causes them to be undertrained on a normal throwing program, you're placing that player at risk. So you have to understand what's going into that. Because underthrowing a guy is just as dangerous as overthrowing a guy.
1: Hey, this is More Than Velocity. I'm Bart Pear here with Ryan Croton and Jordan Osegera. And today we're going to talk about the kinematic sequence and specifically um, how to train the rotational aspect of the kinematic sequence to increase your performance, um, increase velocity, uh, basically do everything better um, as as a pitcher or throwing athlete in general. So first off, I just want to say if you're listening to this on YouTube, please subscribe so you make sure you get everything there. If you're listening to our podcast, um, subscribe as well so you always see the latest and greatest. We try to produce these uh, at least one a week um, for these long-form podcasts, and then we've got quick pitches and and arm care IQs as well that are coming out that are a little shorter. Some of them are, are very specific, some of them quite technical, but they're all good quality contact content for what's um for what's going on in baseball um right now. So with that, um let's just kick this over to Jordan and quickly explain what the kinematic sequence is and, and how you optimize it through training. So the kinematic
0: sequence really got popular in golf to start things off. And obviously there was a lot of similarities in the timing of rotation and things like that in comparing that to both pitchers and hitters with a couple of those aspects. So it got adopted pretty well in the baseball world. Um, and it's really getting some big notoriety. I'd say, would you say over the last two years, Ryan?
2: Uh, it's been a little longer, a little longer than two years, somewhere in that.
0: So it's starting to get real popular and people are starting to get a little more understanding of it. Um, Man, I remember when at first, when I first started talking about kinematic sequence, people had no clue what, what was going on or anything like that, but a very brief overview of it is it's the timing of the rotation, the speeds of, those ro- of that rotation as it relates to your segments. So the first one is going to be the pelvis, followed by the torso, followed by the throwing arm for a pitcher. Um, so you want the timing of that, the kinematics, to be in sequence of what it is you're doing for that movement. Uh, did you want to put a little more science phrase to that, Ryan, or do you think yeah, that was good yeah, on the overview? Yeah,
2: yeah, I think it's good. I, I wanted to give a little bit more detail. Um, you know, our listeners might not know what kinematics mean, and kinematics basically describe motion. So you're looking at items such as position, so rotational position of segments. Um, you're also looking at velocities, and usually we're looking at angular velocities. In the kinematic sequence um, we're then uh, also looking at accelerations which is you know the rate of change in speed so you know you have your, you have position velocity is the rate of change in position and then you have acceleration which is the rate of change in velocity and a lot of those components um, are very trainable and when it comes to the kinematic sequence there are there's an there's an acronym i use but basically it all starts with the letter s so with the technology that's out there whether you're using sensors or using a 3d biomechanics suite or a markerless motion capture system you're going to be able to see a few things you're going to be able to see first the speeds so you have to take note of how things are how fast things are rotating obviously the arm it's lighter and it's further away from the center of the body is going to move faster um, but primarily, you know, in training people are really focused on the pelvis and the trunk So you're looking at their speeds you then want to look at uh, Separation time. So when do these two segments? Let's say the pelvis and the trunk hit their peak speeds That's an important determinant of performance in in biomechanics um, and then from there um you want to actually look at the slope of the line and the slope is the acceleration and deceleration so most biomechanists they pay attention to the slope getting up to the peak but the real beauty that separates pitchers ability is once they hit peak how fast do they put on the brakes so you want to be able to see a very sharp decline in um in the speed curve in the angular velocity curve so you want to see them decelerate really well um you also want to take a look of at their separation and the uh, the technologies that are out there will tell you what is the angle that is made between the pelvis and the trunk and there you know there are optimums but every pitcher is different there are some pitchers that throw at very high velocity that have very little range of motion in being able to separate their their pelvis from their trunk and we also call that dissociation and that's basically the pelvis is rotating towards the plate while the trunk is still maintaining a position away. And so that creates an angle between those two segments and that's a big stretch between them. Um, You can also look at the speed gain. That's another S. So that's looking at, let's just say you're looking at your pelvis and your trunk, how much speed is the trunk gaining on the pelvis? And the last thing you can look for in this kinematic sequence is the speed ratio. What is the percentage of speed for the trunk relative to the speed of the pelvis? And there's all different categories and benchmarks that you can use for a player and influence training based on this data.
0: Yeah. One way I've always liked to, to describe it when we're relaying this information to players, because you know, the people who've been listening to the podcast, uh, reading the blogs, anything like that, know that anyone that Ryan and I are working with, we want to educate them with as much information as we can. And the way I like to say it is when you're looking at your kinematic sequence is it's kind of like the engine of the car. What the pelvis, what the torso, what the what the arm are doing are kind of like the timing of when your pistons are firing in that engine. And then when you're looking at those acceleration phases of it, that's how fast your engine can get you going from zero to 60. The deceleration is how fast you go from 60 to zero, so slamming on the brakes. And then those peak rotational speeds, or how much horsepower you actually have in that engine. So looking at all that, you need to make sure those are pretty well balanced out. They're firing in the right timing, the right sequence of events, and that you're maximizing. If you have, you know, 450 horse horsepower under the hood, not quite like my Honda Civic, you know, I call it the stable. That's where I keep the horses, Croton. Mm-hmm. Um, but I want to make sure that I'm able to accelerate those from zero to 60, but also being able to slam those down when I need to hit the brakes. To transfer that energy and gain as much uh, momentum up the chain as I can.
1: So, uh, and Ryan, you definitely put that into a definitely a more scientific look at that. If, if for the average person out there who maybe can't measure, or how are you measuring these things that you were talking about? Um, you know, what kind of tools are you using? And if you're just a, you know, just a teenager or someone in college, or you know, what are you what are you doing to to assess? where you are in terms of your kinematic sequence um at this point
2: yeah i mean so at the very high level you're using markers put on the body and you're going to be at a biomechanics lab in 3d space a lot of pro teams have them college teams do too there are technologies that can be purchased um, as apps that you can get some indication of how you're rotating and moving that are markerless there are uh, other apps that actually put the sensor on the body which i think are a little more accurate than the markerless cell phone applications because you're actually having some imu unit on the body which which measures its movement and its position in 3d space and you know that's what we used when we were with uh, the angels we we had our players wear those so that we had you know very deep details of how they're moving um and, you know, if you don't have all that stuff, you can utilize a slow motion video camera, you know, and you basically want to have the view oncoming, like the pitcher is throwing towards you. So you have the catcher perspective and you can see certain things like you can evaluate if you see big hips and little shoulders. So that means that they got a lot of their hip rotation around. And if you don't see much of their shoulders and chest, you know, they probably do have a pretty good separation angle because, um, they're you know, if I'm a right-handed pitcher, I'm keeping my tra- chest towards third base longer while my, my pelvis, my hips are starting to angle and be on line with home plate. That's someone who's got pretty good separation. But, you know, as we mentioned again, when Jordan said, you know, putting the brakes on from 60 to zero, that's something you can see in slow motion where you can see these segments stop you know the the pelvis rotates, it stops. The trunk rotates, it stops. The body starts flexing forward. It's not over rotating. Those are things that you can see in the video to determine. You know this athlete has a pretty good ability to stabilize the the rotational movement. And they need that um, for command and control, for velocity and health.
1: So let's talk about velocity and health. I mean we we talk about hey strength strength solves. So many problems and, and strength is, is key. How does strength relate to the kinematic sequence and staying healthy?
2: Yeah. So, you know, let, let's let's first talk about the training. You know, the training, if you want to influence velocity, there's been research to show that if you increase your trunk speed, you're going to increase your throwing speed. And it makes sense okay. because our arm is, is attached to our trunk. Um, and that could be done in a variety of ways. You know, some athletes may need uh, more strength work, more heavy ball rotation. Um, other athletes may need um, lighter ball training, but they have to work on a spectrum. So, for example, when I use a heavy ball, my trunk rotation is going to slow down. You know, and that makes intuitive sense. You got more mass that you have to negotiate. Um, and I use a light ball, I'm going to speed up. But to develop strength in that pattern, you need to train across the spectrum. You can't just go to one or the other. And then your positioning in your training is important. You know, there's a there's the rotational chest throw. Um, Do they step down from a box? Do they sit on a box and go and throw? You put them in different body positions. You know, do they have a back step and throw? Do they have the ball in front of their bodies and they do a pullback and throw as they're moving forward? There's a lot of ways to train the kinematic sequence um for you know creating a good separation angle and also for for velocity and people may want to use a radar gun you know that's not unheard of in in the sport of baseball many other sports that are rotationally driven is to utilize a radar gun and usually you know if the ball is not picking up the velocity at, at all it's probably too heavy so you need to select a ball that you can actually gain a velocity, and 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 that can give you also. So, uh, so you're saying
1: use, you need, you're using a heavy enough ball to achieve this this strength development, but it's light enough that you're throwing it fast enough for the radar gun actually picks yeah. up and registers. Okay.
2: Yeah, and that's that's a problem is, is when people pick up balls that are too heavy and they're not they're not getting enough speed because there's that interplay between force and velocity and. If, if the force requirements too high, you're not going to move fast enough and it's, it's not going to be transferable as much to um, the throwing delivery. So utilizing a radar gun from behind the athlete and getting the, the velocity of the med ball um, is is important, you know, and um, the important part about health is, again, I believe in the deceleration. So the athletes have to have very good lower body strength, and that comes from unilateral work. You know, a lot of the the programs I see for pitching, baseball in general, and it was a mistake that I made when I was overseeing strength and conditioning, um, at least at the minor league level. And I changed when I was overseeing all of it is we had a preoccupation on two legged exercise, you know, squatting, deadlifting, um, hip thrusting. And we didn't have much of a, as much a focus on single leg training, especially at higher intensities, heavier work at lower volumes, lower reps. And these athletes, in order to to decelerate, they need great absorption qualities. That means, like, you know, when I come down off a box, can I stabilize on one leg? Okay. Um, the the eccentric part, the the breaking of the of the lead leg, is so important, and the strength of that lead leg is very important, and that helps you know, you know, stabilize, put the brakes on your pelvis rotation, you know, it's not all core driven. And when you get that, you know, you're in a healthier place because you're not over rotating, you're managing your rotational velocity, but when it comes to health,
0: Hey Ryan, real quick, can you clarify over rotating because that could have about seven different visuals? Yeah.
2: So, so at ball release, you know, so this again, when you, when you want to look at video, um, at ball release, you know, what where's the position of the trunk? You know, where's the position of the head is the head uh, Outside the knee the lead knee significantly is the trunk at ball release You know, are you seeing the chest if I'm a right-handed pitcher is if is it angled more towards? The uh, left-handed batter's box or towards the dugout. They're really rotated. You know, you usually see some pretty crazy head movement when that happens um, but You know, you need to be able to be online. And the thing is, if the lower body strength goes down, and this is my research, I've done a lot of research on this and and looked at momentum. If you lose your stride length and you lose your your ground reaction force power, um, both in pushing and bracing, the only thing that your body can do to maintain velocity is speed up. That's it. You don't have any more linear energy. What are you going to do? You're going to become more rotational. And the problem lies when fatigue, when the athlete has to rotate faster because the arm now gets disconnected and hangs back behind the trunk. And if it hangs back behind the trunk, that leg puts stress on the shoulder and elbow. And I mean, our vantage point of of being with armcare.com is that we want to manage. We're expecting there is going to be fatigue of, of the core and of the legs. And and that's going to occur, and that's going to change that momentum relationship, where we want to make sure the shoulder and the elbow are as strong as possible to handle that change in the transfer of momentum.
1: So, Jordan, you've you've analyzed thousands of pictures on video, um, looking for things like this. What what are some of the common things you're seeing, and then what are the common drills that you're you're telling them, hey, we've got to improve some things here. We've got to get things back in sync. Um, wh- you know, what are the things you're having some of your athletes do? Yeah, so to kind of give a
0: two two-folded answer to that, if you're looking at an athlete just on 2D video, slow motion, or if you're able to slow that down as best you can, you're go- you're going to be able to to hit the bullseye. I'd say 80 percent of the time with your drill prescriptions. Um, there's a lot of really good drills out there, with you know the rocker drill some sequencing drills, uh, some stability drills where you're actually teaching the pelvis to, to accelerate and stabilize, all done while throwing. But when you actually put them on a motion analysis, you can really get fine-tuned detail in that. And I preface that by saying motion analysis isn't for everyone. There's, there's some prerequisites for me for getting into motion analysis. And you know obviously, you need to be, be sure you're going to be strong enough to handle those, those fine-tuned detail changes that are going to happen as well as you need to be competing at a relatively high level for it to have some type of real effect. For the most part, most of it's going to get done through 2D video. But when you get someone on a motion analysis system, you're going to be able to see the way those curves are looking on their acceleration and deceleration phases. And if you have a guy, for instance, I just call him hiccups. And If you're just listening, you're not watching, you obviously can't see what my hand's doing. But instead of that line and giving a good straight acceleration up, it might have that acceleration a little flat spot and then it gets going with the pelvis. And now you can see, okay, on the acceleration phase, there's a specific drill or training method that I need to start implementing to smooth that out. Or if it's on the decel side, now you can start focusing on the back half of that curve. Or if it's with the torso and you start looking back. And this is something that a lot of movement screens miss because you're not moving is violently and aggressively in a movement screen as you are during the actual throwing motion. The throwing motion is a very aggressive movement and movement screens are done on flat ground. We're thrown off of a slope. So all of a sudden, the, the motion analysis is taking into account those issues and by analyzing what those are doing, if you see, again, I'm just calling them hiccups in those in those slopes, you can start addressing the specific drills you need That are going to be helping that athlete the best so is it the torso rotating early because the pelvis can't stop well you need to program in some d-cell strength training on that pelvis as well as some you know lower half stability work drills in the throwing program that are going to focus on that is the torso rotating early because it's happening due to a posture change and that's thrown off the kinematic sequence well now you know exactly what you can program in with that so it gives you a really good starting point of going. What drills specifically does athlete A need and athlete B need? Um, so I want to make sure that people are aware you can answer that, you know, on the broad sense through a 2D video, and you're going to be pretty good with it for 85% of the guys you work with. And then there's going to be that 15% that really need to get into a motion analysis lab and really get that information to to dial that in. If if I hope I made that clear.
1: Yes, and so you're looking at, with those curves, your acceleration, deceleration, and disassociation. Um, is there a spot where there's too much disassociation going on, or do you like to see them to be able to handle as much as possible? What's What are you looking so for there?
0: One thing I want to touch on that is this is where you hear a lot of people get confusion with, is... They look at disassociation and they say, oh, the pelvis has to be only rotated towards home plate and the shoulders have to be stable. And, you know, for me, that's putting every player in the same box. Um, You know, I've referenced him in the past before, but just like, you know, Randy Sullivan's pointed out, and a lot of pitching coaches other than Randy as well have pointed out that based on the way your pelvis is designed, based on, you know, the length of your legs and your bones, you know, femur and. Yeah, inverted, everted, all these things. <clears throat> it's going to change the way that you you load down the mound. We just had a great, fantastic talk with Stephen Jones, one of the one of the best cricket coaches who's out there, from what I can understand. And he sees the same stuff, you know, quad dominance versus glute, fascia versus tendon, <clears throat> stuff that's way beyond you know most people to understand. But each player is going to load differently based on their anatomy. If you load differently, you're going to stride differently. If you stride differently, you're going to disassociate differently. So that all is really important. There's going to be, like Ryan was talking about, I say big hips, little shoulders. Those are your guys that are going to create huge pelvis separation and the shoulders almost stay stable. So they get that belt buckle all the way pointed towards home plate. You have guys that are really visually pleasing, and they're a little bit of hips and a little bit of shoulders. And they're just real pretty because the way our brains are is we like things that are balanced. There's a reason most people look at Picasso paintings and they're like, I don't really understand that. <laughs> but then you look at a picture of a flower pot that's in every single hotel room like, oh, yeah, that, that's kind of nice to look at. It's because it's balanced out and visually pleasing. And then you have the guys that create almost no pelvis separation, but it looks like they're twisting their upper half almost inside out. So neither one of them is wrong. Neither one of them is right. It's all depending on what you do from the feet up when you're talking about what's going on there. Um, And obviously there's, there's, there's guys who create a little bit of hip and shoulder separation that throw really hard. There's guys that create a ton that throw really hard and everything in between. And I don't think there's anything wrong when it comes to projecting velocity of saying more is better, but you better build strength around it because if you create a ton, if you take a rubber band and two pencils and wind them up in different directions and you create that separation and you just let them go slowly, those pencils are going to not create. But if you can create that tension, store it, and then create that energy and whip it through, those are going to rotate faster. And that's what it comes down to is, yeah, you have to create that separation. It shouldn't be the main focus of, hey, increase your separation. It should be increasing strength through stability, mobility, and proper flexibility through those ranges of motion, or you're really not going to utilize whatever it is you're trying to create through that separation. If that makes sense, I know I, I got a little long winded on that one.
2: I, um, you know, I want to say too, like, coaches, even strength coaches, medical staff, they also have to, you know, they have to focus on the outcome variables. You know, is this guy a good pitcher? Does he have great stuff? You know, is he throwing a lot of strikes? Is he able to command the ball? Is he getting, you know, swing and miss? All of those things have to be understood first because we have also been, just like what Jordan's saying, the eye test, and this happens too in biomechanics where people stick too hard to the quali- the quantitative data. We've, we've messed some guys up. We've, we've, we've made improvements, which, you know, in terms of how their kinematic sequence looks on paper and on video but then all of a sudden the ball action changed, you know, and you you think like, okay, well, the trunk and pelvis are a long, they're a long way from the fingertips, but there's some relationship to the entire kinetic chain on, on ball action. And so, you know, that that's happened in some places. So that's important to consider too. And all of this is, you know, what's, what's the uh, performance uh, outcomes of the player. And that's why, you know, I always say my message is strength matters most, you know, especially when the, when the athlete's having great success on the mound, it's like, okay, we need to ensure that this athlete is strong, you know, given that he's not biomechanically or kinematically the way we want him. We just have to ensure that his, his training is, is robust to handle, you know, what we think might not be the ideal or optimal sequence.
0: Well, well, just to touch on that as well, even if you, if it's a hundred percent, the right decision to take a guy from a bad kinematic sequence to a good kinematic sequence, you're going to be placing stress on those joints, on those tissues in a new way that they're not used to, even if it's lessened, you know, even if you're lessening force on those, on the tissues, it's new. So now all of a sudden, if that causes them to be undertrained on a normal throwing program, you're placing that player at risk. So you have to understand what's going into that because under a guy is just as dangerous as overthrowing a guy. So you need to know what's going on with that. And just like Ryan was talking about with the pitch shapes is you still have a large grouping of people out there that are saying, Oh, that this isn't going to impact your pitch shapes in any way. 100% it will impact your pitch shapes and pitch shapes are extremely important to where, you know, and I'm talking at the high level of performance right now. If you take a guy who has a bad kinematic sequence, but can create 19 inches of induced vertical break on his fastball, you clean that sequence up, and you get him down to 16. You've done that guy a disservice, you know. And it's you, you need to understand at that point you may have taken a guy who's now was going to be a millionaire, and made him never get out of double A. So it 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 gets a little more risky when you start doing those, and you need to have that information of why you're making these adjustments, what it is you're doing, and even if that guy still gets to the big leagues, but you take him from, you know, being a standard group five, which is you know your fourth or fifth starter, a usable bullpen arm and you make him a group four, by lessening those pitch qu- qualities, he's still a big leaguer, but he's not as productive as he should have been. So you really need to evaluate what changes do happen. And if you're not continually assessing holistically, 360-degree view of what's going on with that player, yeah, he may be you know, recovering you know, 24 hours sooner, but if he's recovered 24 hours sooner and producing 15% less, it doesn't matter if he recovers within 20 minutes because if he's not producing, it doesn't matter. Uh, so I don't know if you want to jump in more on that, Ryan.
2: Yeah, I mean, there, there's just a, a ton of things to to consider, you know, in, the, in this world of biomechanics. And, um, you know, we have to be careful. And one of the things I see as a problem is doing retesting. You know, that's important, too. And this is kind of a facet of armcare.com is that we don't want to miss observation windows. Um, We never want to uh, have too much time go by where we don't get a snapshot of an athlete's strength. And so, you know, when you're doing things biomechanically, you need to also re-examine the movement that you're changing to see, did it actually change? But now with this layer of strength, I would be looking to see, is the athlete less efficient? meaning is, is now is the delivery causing them more fatigue, you know, and if you're looking at a bullpen c- scenario, that might be a pretty standard way of looking at it um, or games, looking at pitch ranges. Cause you know, if, if we're making these biomechanical changes and it's adding to fatigue, you know, that's probably not a good thing because that could encourage more compensations and you know, um, People that don't have these biomechanics based equipment, I mean, again, let's be led by strength. Even if you, you're seeing something in video and you, you start to you know, adjust someone's mechanics, you know, have a good indication in terms of how fatigue resistant they are. Because if you can make the athlete fatigue resistant, you have a better opportunity to have them throw harder, be more stable with their velocity, and reduce the risk of injury.
0: Yeah. Real, real quick on that too is, you know, we're obviously talking about the kinematic sequence and one thing I see kind of all over baseball is everyone's fixing all, I say fixing loosely arm path and it works for one guy and it ruins nine. Um, There's a time and a place to adjust it. And most of the time it is not today. It's not, that is not usually the time and place. It's usually way down the road Cause no one's checking into what the kinematic sequence is doing. If the guy's kinematic sequence is off, yeah, his arm path is gonna look funky. But if his pelvis and torso are rotating the way they should, and the speeds they should, and everything else is doing what it should, like Ryan said, you know, the 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 arm is a long way away from from the from the pelvis, but the pelvis 100% is gonna impact that. It's a lot closer to the torso, but the torso rotation is going to impact what that arm path is. So you see these people with an out of sync kinematic sequence and they go well let's fix his arm path and then they change his arm path and he's already got that you know different different timing that's not you know correct i guess we'll say and you tighten up that arm path which even if you're a skater if you tighten up the arm path you're going to rotate faster as a skater so if you tighten up your arms as a thrower you're going to rotate faster with the torso ryan pointed out earlier faster rotation faster velo and then everyone, wow, we fixed this guy's arm path. Look at that. He's throwing two miles an hour harder, but we didn't get him any stronger. We didn't clean up the kinematic sequence. Two weeks later, he's on the IL. Everyone will point to the one success story of going, wow, this guy did it. And look at how good he's throwing. But they forget to mention, well, this guy's 33 years old. He's been in the big leagues for eight years, and he's a freak when it comes to his strength. But then they take that guy in low or that high school player, they go, I told you we needed to change his arm path because he was an injury waiting to happen after they just blew the kid out. You know, and I'm not saying that's everyone, but it's a lot more common than you would think to where I've got a lot of guys that I work with that go, man, I got, you know, my coach trying to tighten my arm path up, try tighten my arm path, tighten my arm path. With good intentions, they haven't done the digging. They haven't done that research of what that underlying cause is. And it's like putting a, a bandage over a gunshot wound. There's a lot more than just covering up that wound you got to get in there and fix what's happening on the internal side of this. Uh, so I really hope I explained that well. Without I, I'm good for one rant a day, so mm-hmm. that was my rant on the day.
1: I, I think the rant is is definitely valid, but I, I want to understand it a little more. That let's say you're looking at some video and you say, "Hey, this guy's you know pelvis isn't isn't decelerating the way we want." You're not you're not telling the kid. And maybe we say the same way with arm pad. You're not saying, hey, I want you to do this with your pelvis more. You're saying, hey, we're going to do some training and build some strength around this. And then we are going to go back and look again and see what changes that made. And if it was an improvement or not, it's not, I'm going to get you to look this way on video. It's I'm going to strengthen this up and see what changes on video.
0: Yeah. We're going to, again, stability, mobility. Flexibility are kind of the foundation of everything. And you have to be, you got to be stable. You got to be able to move around things as well. And then there is a portion of flexibility that comes into this. And if your drills while throwing or even while in the weight room, and Ryan's going to be able to go way more in depth on the science behind this, I understand it from a field perspective, but Ryan understands it from a clinical perspective as well. So the better you can do that with your throwing drills, as well as your training of what you're doing. So not just getting in there and ripping out some squats or, hey, I, I can I can hang clean X amount of weight. There's a lot more that goes into it than that. But your drills have to address those for the pelvis, for the torso, for the shoulder, and then the arms along for the ride. You know, yeah. the, the, the majority of the delivery from lift to landing takes about a second, sometimes 1.2, depending on who you're looking at. But as soon as you land, you have about 0.25 seconds from landing to ball release. That's not a lot of time to make an adjustment. So we tell these kids, hey, don't overthink. You're thinking too much out there. But then we tell them, take a really complex movement of what's going on with your arm path and do it in point in less than a quarter of a second, by the way. We need you to do that. I don't know a whole lot of people that can really put that amount of effort into a, into this much of a time window is opposed to this much. So for me, almost 100%, maybe 95% of my teaching comes before the foot is landed. Because once the foot's down, we're just letting our natural intuition, our natural body awareness, our everything we've done leading up to that point is going to take care of itself. The only thing we have to do is make sure we're keeping the intensity through that point. But if we're trying to coach after that point, we see a lot of guys get the creature, the yips, the thing, whatever you want to call it. And I've seen it happen a lot, especially in the pro level where, where guys start coaching after foot strike and you ruin a player. And it's not because of bad intentions, but again, like my mentor was a PhD in sports psychology. So I got, I don't know as much as him, but I learned a lot about the psychology aspect of what goes into these changes, the stress, the anxiety, you know, everything that happens. And then when you start telling the brain, which is a fantastic thing, you know, the brain's pretty impressive. And man, Ryan, you were with me on my, my neuroscience, deep dives and, you know, neuroplasticity and going through all these things. And, you know, man, I think I wore out almost every person who didn't want to talk to me. And I finally found one guy and Ryan that did want to talk to me about it, you know, in, in pro ball and, I I don't know how much research I had on how many books and videos and all this stuff. And it's not easy to, to get the brain to actually learn something in that amount of time. You need to find a different way to do it and you got to give it time before that to affect that outcome, if that makes sense. Um, but again, this is something you can get really deep into and go way down the rabbit hole on. But it's also why when you try to fix things, that are putting the band-aid over the issue, as opposed to addressing the hemorrhaging artery, you give kids the yips. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's really dangerous when you start messing with things out of the sequence of the events they should be taking place.
2: I always think that you should take a weight room solution to a mechanical problem first. Um, the athlete needs to feel, you know, what what's happening. There's, there's probably no athlete on the history of the world where you give a very long description of how you want them to move and you're explaining how where their body position should be and what they should be doing with their joints. And it's just too much that they need to be able to feel, you know, feel the movement, feel what it's like in their muscles. You know, it's not being internal, it's being external because they they have implements to use. You know, for example, if an athlete doesn't hinge well, well, maybe you put them on the mound and they do reps with something that gives them weight to keep them tipped forward so that they understand how to hold that position and posture in a hinge position. Um, I see some drills and pitching that, you know, I don't necessarily agree with for, for the kinematic sequence and separation. Like uh, one drill is called the janitor drill where the pitcher is actually facing towards second base on the mound and they're just basically... Uh, reverse stepping and trying to like snap their head around to find home plate to see if they can, they can try to hold back. That's, that's artificial, in my opinion, where there is a strength, stability, um, mobility, flexibility problem that's inherent. And you're you're just throwing something at them that um, is not going to overcome the anatomical aspects of their delivery so you know the other thing i i want coaches out there to to do is like try to take a proximal solution to a distal problem jordan said it and i i want to re address it you know working on the arm without looking at the body and when i mean proximal i mean the trunk and the pelvis you know start in the lower body you know cut the arm out of the equation fix those things first and then you'll see you know how it improves the things that you want to see in the arm you know and I think time and time again, um, this, this holy grail of finding the perfect mechanics, we need to stop that. We need to find optimal, optimal mechanics for everyone. And Jordan and I have seen a ton of athletes with what is considered perfect mechanics or great mechanics. You know, scouts have told us how efficient they are and all that stuff, and they go down in a hurry. And so the, again, the message for me is strength matters most. If you don't know what the athlete's strength is like on a on a you know weekly basis at minimum, um, you're exposing them to a tremendous amount of risk. And none of the conversations that we're having about mechanics matter when the player is under the knife and out for a year to eighteen months.
0: Yeah, just you know, to give surgery. some context on that, you know, you know, the guy I mentored under who I think we're actually going to be having on the podcast here in a little bit, Tom House, he looks at it from the point as he goes, he's known for biomechanics. But if you go work with Tom at any point, if you've coached under Tom at any point or consulted for Tom at any point, he says there's this performance table. The performance table, it's all held up by the result. That's the tabletop. But then you have your legs, which are biomechanics, strength and conditioning, nutrition, and mental-emotional. Your sleep and nutrition, mental-emotional recovery, all those legs need to be equally balanced to support the results that are the table. So if people are... I mean, everybody's gone out and at least I have, maybe I just am in worse neighborhoods than everyone else, where you sit down and the table's all unbalanced. It seems like everywhere I sit, I get the bad table that just wobbles. You don't want that. You want the table legs to all be stable. You want it to support the tabletop so you're not having food slide off everywhere. And that's the exact analogy is not one of them is more important than the other. They're all of equal importance. You can be the best biomechanically. You can be extremely functionally sound. Your strength is there. You can do everything you can from your sleep and nutrition, but if mentally and emotionally you can't handle strength and anxiety, you will never pitch at a high level. If you can handle stress and anxiety, you have the mentality of a Navy SEAL, but your biomechanics suck, you don't actually have the right functional strength base for a pitcher, and your sleep and nutrition are no good, you are not going to last in as a professional baseball player. You're not going to perform to To the max, so it's like you can't be overloaded on any one of these standpoints. You need to be equally balanced on all of them, and that goes for any high-end athlete. Is you know they might have success for a year or two, but they're usually not long-term success stories. So it's so important that you know I, I've said it before: baseball swings in these pendulums of black and white. There's never that shade of gray in the middle where the pendulum can kind of just sit there and get comfortable. It's oh well this player has good mechanics what about his strength doesn't matter he has good mechanics well this guy's really strong what about his mentality doesn't matter he's strong i've seen him squat 350 pounds so we know that he's mentally tough he can he can handle it but we're just not looking at things in that 360 degree view that's holistic to know what's going on internally and externally you know and everyone pigeonholes themselves into this one school of thought. As opposed to going, no, we have to round this athlete out. Are we trying to create major league starting pitching? Or if you're a high school coach, am I trying to create the best starting pitching staff in the entire state or the country? Or am I trying to just create some guys that can be really good for one or two innings? And if you want guys that are good for one or two innings, be good at one or two things. If you want guys that are really good at playing the game of baseball, you need to be able to develop those four legs of the table and support the foundation of that so the tabletop can actually have some weight on it.
1: That, that was rant number three. Yeah, my bad. I'm, I'm keeping track. That's so, my bad. No, it's all good. I think um, I think we've hit this uh, pretty well. Um, if you've got any questions at all um, regarding this, what am I doing? Maybe, hey, I'm doing this. Is this whatever you've got? Listen, we want them. Um, submit them to us on YouTube or go on to armcare.com. There's a support link right there in the bottom right. You can click on it and say, Hey, I've got a question about the podcast or whatever. We will respond and get back to you for sure. So, um, with that, I think we're going to wrap it up and, uh, until next time.